0: Well, Jude tells us that for certain men have crept in unnoticed. He uses the past tense in Jude, not the future tense. Not that they will creep in, but they have crept in. And that we weren't paying attention. The church Jude speaks to weren't alert to the fact that they had come in. And we want to talk about this. these creeps. <laughs> and that's really what they are. They're those that will come in. They do not come in declaring who they are. They do not come in um, being contentious up front. They come in with smiles. They come in with a form of Godliness that is superficial only and has not penetrated their heart. And so the idea of creeping in implies something, implies an evil intent. For they know who they are and their goal, their aspiration in creeping is to come in and to catch you unawares. And of course, we have all watched enough television programs of watching predators creep up on prey. That the idea is to get close enough to get into the very midst of the herd, unnoticed. Not so they can benefit the herd, but they can cull it. So they can bring destruction there. That is their objective. And so when Jude and other writers of Scripture use this word, we need to understand what it entails. It entails that we must always be on our guard and recognize that if we have not been on our guard, they may very well already be within the midst of the church and often are. When I say, Pastor, what in the world does this passage here in in verse 4, and there's only one chapter, have anything to do with Mother's Day. And of course, the other passage that deals with creepers is what we've read earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And there in our reading, hopefully you immediately recognize who their first victims often are. And so I invite you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, And I want to lay out a contrast today. And so we're going to begin with the negative because this is what is being introduced here in Jude, is the idea that men have crept in unawares. They're they're fully aware of what they're doing, but you aren't. You have allowed them to come in, and by the time we realize who and what they are, It is often too late for they are already in a position to cause enormous damage. Even bringing some people's faith to its end. In this we talked about the need for endurance. That there is something to contend for because there are enemies of your faith who want to shipwreck it. And the idea that we can coast through and endure as believers is foreign to the Bible. And so, among those that would seek to shipwreck your faith, those that would want to derail you in your Christian walk, are not only those outside, but those inside the church that the Bible describes as these who creep in. And so, we find that not only do they creep into the church, but they creep into our homes. And this is what Paul warns Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 6, for of this sort are those who creep into households. They creep into our homes. We often think that, that our church is the first and foremost defender of the faith, but it really is not. Our homes are the first place where we defend the faith. For it is there that we are the most real. And that is why your children can declare often more quickly whether they are seeing the reality of Christ in the home or not. Because they see you when all of your facades are gone. They see you in the morning... When you're blurry-eyed, they see you at noon. They see you in the evening. When you've come home from a long day of work, they see you at night. They see you when the stresses of life weigh heavily. And they see you when you think no one sees you. And so our homes are the places where we need to begin this defense of our faith, this earnest contending for the faith that Jude talked about in verse three. And we find that this is where the war begins for truth. Because the fact is, no matter how biblical we do ministry, the ministry of the church is limited in your home's life. Even in my home's life, where I'm a minister, it is still limited. Even when we are here, every time the doors are open, and by the way, that's not just because I'm a minister. I grew up that way, and my parents weren't any of that. Um, but we every time the doors were open, we were here. Sometimes we were sent to church. Some, mostly, we went as a family, but they always made sure we were there. Even with that extensive contact with the church, it is minimal compared to the other influences in their life, beginning at home, and then with their peers and in our day and age, with their educational system and the media, frankly, as far as quantity, the church cannot and does not compete. And so it comes to the home. And it is no mistake that these who are instruments of Satan, and let's call them that, they aren't just misguided. They are creeping in because they are predators on your faith. They are instruments of the evil one. And they come in and they know where to attack. And they attack within our homes. It says here, they creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts, always learning Never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And we find that within the home, that which Paul stipulates first is among the women within the home, specifically gullible women. You might say, well, this isn't going on so nicely right now, Pastor. What Are you, are you going to actually, yes, we're going to get there. Remember, this is a contrast sermon. So here's the negative. And we're going to give you a really strong positive here in a little bit. But you have to be warned. That you are susceptible. Why are women more susceptible than men? I say, well, that doesn't seem right. But yet we know that even in the Garden of Eden, the evil one did not approach Adam, he approached Eve. Why? Because contrary to what society has been telling you of late, women are created differently than men. Okay? You are different than guys. And among those differences is uh, a something that you might say, well, you're talking about as though a weakness. What we're going to show here in a little bit is that what is your weakness can also be a strength. That God did not inherently put a weakness in you. He put something different in you that can be ployed as a weakness by unscrupulous people. Now, I want you to understand that I am not saying that you were designed poorly. I am saying that unscrupulous people can take something and abuse that, which is precious in you and necessary. It is part of what it takes to be a helpmeet. It is part of what it takes to be a mom. It is part of what it takes to be this companion that that God's designed you to be. But unscrupulous ones, like the evil one in the Garden of Eden. And like these who creep into your homes, will take advantage of that. And it is not your fault that you are designed that way. It is not God's fault that you're designed that way, because it is a valuable part of your design. It is rather the unscrupulous people's fault. But we need to recognize that it exists. If we put blinders on and say, no, no, I'm just as strong as a man, because that's what we've been taught since the... late late 60s, 70s, um, then you are going to set yourself up to be a prey. P-R-E-Y. You're going to become the victim. And so we need to be aware. Why do they start here? And why does the Bible have so much cautionary language to the role of women within the church and within the home. And it is because of the effect of sin and these evil ones who will come in and take advantage of sensitivity, of compassionateness, of uh, familial ties and how they can be used and abused. And the reality is we all see this extensively around us, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. We see and we say, how can this woman stay with that man when he abuses her like that? For the same reason that mom keeps loving her children even when they break her heart. And we do not want to transform women into men. That is not the solution. It is not anywhere near what we want to accomplish today. But we want to recognize that when it comes to who you're going to give your heart to, who are you going to trust to open your life to, your heart, your mind, your person, that there needs to be a precautions taken not a precaution, many precautions taken. And that is one of the reasons why the Bible says that one of the things that a wife should do is when she has some questions about the faith that she's to go and talk to her husband. Why? Because God designed us differently. And we have the capacity to disconnect on some levels and that is for a reason. And we're designed that way to be not just insensitive, but to be able to do difficult things and disassociate it from other things in our life that requires to be tender and nonviolent. And God hasn't built women that way, they are very interconnected and they cannot disassociate what's going on in this part of their life and what's going on in that part of their life. And once we understand that, we can recognize just how beneficial it is that God has given us these precautions and these checks for us to rely upon Husbands, Fathers, pastors. And the horrible and the And I believe one of the reasons that God's word is so strongly opposed to these creepers is that they use this role to get into the good graces of mostly ladies and then abuse them. And so the Bible gives warning that there are gullible women they are loaded down with sins. They are led away by their desires, their lusts, their desires of their heart. And therefore, be cautious that there are those who come in who look, sound, appear godly. And because we are so desirous to encounter godly people We fall for it, hook, line, and singer, because we so desperately want good friends, godly influences. And so, because they seem to be so rare, when someone comes in and professes godliness, we simply accept them. And once we open our hearts to that, oh, how difficult it is to then have to change our minds about them. And in fact, those very people are relying on the fact that you are going to be unwilling to do so. This is the force of the passages of Scripture, like this one, that gives these very specific instructions to our gals. Be careful. Be careful. There's a reason why the one book of the Bible I believe should be attributed to the authorship of a woman, the Conticles. You know the Song of Solomon, um, Song of Songs. Do not awaken love before its time, written to women. Don't awaken those things. Why? Because they leave you vulnerable to wickedness, to wicked men. would abuse them. It doesn't mean seal it up and never open your heart to anyone, but rather take care that you are cautious to whom you open your heart up, that you are tentative about it and not just throwing it open at the first opportunity that comes along, but rather that you are measured. And that is The responsibility, I believe, as a father for my gals is to measure yourself, be careful, be cautious. Let me examine these guys that are coming and twirling around you. Let me consider them. Put them in front of me, not because I want to control them, but because I recognize that once they open their heart to that man, it is almost impossible for them to see the flaws within him until it's too late. Because they made the attachment there. and The capacity to attach is a precious one and it's a valuable one and it's a role that you must have within not only your home but the church and society at large. We need that. But we also recognize that there is a time and place and that there are those who are going to abuse it. How do I guard myself? Well, follow God's word. Take care. Wait. Wait. And, and multiple times throughout the Song of Songs, do not awaken your heart to those things too soon. Be cautious. Hold on. And then when it's the right person with right motives, then open your heart and enjoy it. And all of that attachment is so valuable within our homes, within our, our families, within our churches. Oh, it's precious. So don't get the idea that I'm telling you to close down your heart and be and be a man. I don't want you to do that. But I want you to recognize that God has put out these cautions. And here come the creepers coming in. And they're going to target. Target these individuals. And they're going to try to find out who's the most sensitive person and they're going to go after you. And because you are a sensitive, loving person and wants to minister to people, uh, you become target number one. The Bible says that these Individuals that are targeting you are predators of your faith. And that we are to turn away from them. Not coddle them, not try to deal with them, not just say, oh, that's just the way they are. No, we recognize them for who they are those that would destroy the faith of some. And the Bible says, turn away from these individuals. Paul uses extensive terminology to describe them. They resist the truth, and this is going to be paramount in our understanding of the contrast of what God has called you to. They are corrupt in their minds. They are disapproved concerning the faith. Their folly will be manifest to all eventually get exposed, then you say, oh, what was I thinking, trusting in that? And now you have self-doubt over everything in your life. And the way, the, the way to prevent that, the way to guard against that is to prevent it. How? Well, we're going to get to that. God's Word has given us the mechanisms and He has put around us the mechanisms to... Guard your heart and mind from these creepers. Over the course of ministering now for several decades, I've seen him come in. when they arrive, even the pastor sometimes thinks, well, here's some potential. Here's someone that can really just be plugged into ministry right away. <clears throat> and they present themselves as that. And then when you start to engage and find out what's going on and you start noticing who they gravitate to. Why are you gravitating to those people? Why aren't you addressing it with some of the mature, godly Men within the church, why do you gravitate to the weak? To those that are young in the faith. To those who are struggling in their faith. To those who are untrained in their faith. Why do you gravitate towards them? Oh, to help them is what they say. Ah, they're the ones that need real ministry. But never within the context of the established leadership. And so I have, throughout my ministry, had to see these come into churches. Not just this church, but every church I've been involved with. Going all the way back to my internship at at, uh, my wife's home church in Ohio. They creep in. I can solve your problems. i love you. Pastor doesn't love you as much as i love you. He doesn't really care about what you need. And when you start hearing terms like that, you're dealing with a creeper who's sowing discord among the brethren. And so, they look godly, they sound godly. We are already predisposed to look for such individuals, and we want to embrace them quickly. the Bible says that we should take care and have caution. So what is it that guards us? Well, I would contend that within our homes, God has placed an excellent guard. And it is the same gender where there is Opportunity for the false teacher to come in. And it is to that that I want to really speak this morning and spend most of our time. Let's go, Lord, in prayer as we do so. Lord God, we do thank you for your word before us. And we thank you for an opportunity to consider carefully the roles that you have for us within your family, within our individual families, our church family. In the church universal. And Lord, we thank you for your thorough instructions. And Lord, while we don't often enjoy or thinking about it, we also thank you for a very realistic perspective on what we'll face. From telling us that we'll certainly endure persecution to knowing that there will certainly come into our midst those who want to Take us captive to do their will and not yours. That there is also within us our own lusts that must be curbed and destroyed that we might seek after your desires. Lord, we thank you for these passages that warn us, that give us opportunity to stand guard over our faith along with your spirit. And Lord, We pray that as we do so, they might also recognize all that your word has to teach in regards to the strength that you give us and the power that you provide us and the means that you have put in our hands to contend earnestly for our faith. That we might endure to your coming. And we pray now that your spirit might have liberty to work in our midst, through your word, this hour. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, very strong warning, right? Very strong. And we might brace against us and say, no, that's not me. And I hope you don't. Because the fact is, is that all of us are susceptible to that. Males and females alike, and differently, but but. All of us are really susceptible to it to some degree. And as soon as we put up our down our guard and say, oh, that could never happen to me, it's just about the time it's going to happen to you. And so we keep our guard up. And we keep intact um, our armor. Um, and we recognize that I have to keep that on at home just as much as I keep it on at church just as much as I keep it on the workplace, at the school, I need to keep this armor on. This is not... Uh, just for the rare occasions, but the the war, the spiritual warfare we're engaged in is always. And so we keep ourselves well-armored. And within the armor of God, there's one precious facet that we want to look at today, because by the time we get to the end of this chapter, remember the whole first half of this chapter is all about warning you, evil times are coming, What will it be like? How will they come in? What will they, who will they target? What is their purpose? And we get down to the middle point of the chapter and we're like, oh, this is horrible. And then when we look around, we say, well, that's exactly what's going on in most churches. And we say, ah! But that's not the purpose. The purpose of this is that we might go, "Mm," might get strong and recognize That there is an enemy afoot. He is all about. And it is time for us to recognize that we are engaged in spiritual warfare every day. Take up your armor. Be alert. Be on your guard. And yes, you can still be a tender-hearted person and be on your guard. We do not want to (laughs) destroy the one um, because it's... It's so necessary, as we're going to see. And so the first half of this chapter, strong, strong, strong warnings. But then Paul comes and says, however, he uses that word, but, uh, in verse 10, it says there's something, there's an alternative. There's something else, too, to be considered in this equation. Yes, the world is evil. It's going to come into the church. It's going to creep in, and we have to be non-gullible. We need to be not carried about with sin in our life. We need to not have the desires of our heart be fleshly, and we need to eradicate those things that are influencing us towards all of that. But is that enough? No. It is not just, don't think about these. Because if we just walk through life and say, I'm not going to sin, 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 guess what you're thinking about all the time? Sin! <laughs> The Bible says if you want a lot of sin, meditate on what is good. And so we are well-warned, we can observe around us that indeed the very things that God's word declares is happening, does happen, that we are exposed to it, and that we need to be careful and guarded. So with an awareness of the evil one's actions around us and amongst us, We then come to this, verse 10, but you have carefully followed, and now you have another list. Aren't you glad that there is an equal list to the evil? Here we have another list for you. The evil list seemed to go on and on and on. We're like, oh my goodness, how bad is this going to get? But we come to verse 10, it says you have Paul's doctrine. You have examples, a manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions. You've seen it exemplified that while there are creepers that we need to be alerted to, there are also the faithful men. And when we come to Hebrews 11 and we see that there are ample examples there to follow. And we can see the testimony of their ministry over many years and we recognize that we recognize that, well, they're not in it for themselves. They're not in it to bring destruction. They're not in it for their name's sake. They're not in it for their belly's sake. They're not in it for any of that. They're in it and they only want us to follow after God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's their desire, their heart. And so Paul says, you have carefully followed my, you have seen my life, you have been with me, you have ministered beside me, you know what drives me. I have no inclinations to destroy anyone, but I desire that all men would be saved. I would give up my own salvation if Israel would be saved as a nation. That's the attitude of Paul. Paul. I will pour myself out. When it's all done, I will give myself. When I've used up all my resources, I will give my very life. That I might minister the gospel. You have around you examples that I'm convinced that God will preserve that and provide those in your life. Will they be rare? Yes. Paul was a rare individual. Would you agree with that? Even in his time. He has no problem listing off all these others, but he has a really difficult time listing off who is faithful. When you come across that, when he talks, introduces these people to the church and says, Timothy, my faithful brother, my faithful son, faithful servant, Epaphrodite. When he names these individuals and he says, these are faithful individuals, do you recognize that he's communicating to the church, there are others besides me. God is providing you examples to follow follow these examples and he goes on he talks about evil men are going to grow worse and worse and then verse 14 there's another but but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them there're always going to be those who are going to itch they're going to scratch your itch can make you feel good they're going to tell you what you want to hear and they will draw you after them. And Paul says, listen, Timothy, you need to keep going in what you are assured of. You know it. And yes, it isn't the newfangled thing. It isn't something you never heard before. Um, and sometimes there's a pressure in the ministry to give you something new and fresh and different. But, uh, But we can't allow that pressure to bring us to error. Just to be different and fresh. Because the fact is, the gospel message is fresh for those who believe it. Because it's renewed every day in your heart. And it is the world and the evil one that want to give you discontentment that until you have something new that you haven't heard before, that you aren't getting fed. That's Satan's lie. You have to continue in the things you've learned and been assured of knowing from whom you've learned them, that you learn them from someone you really know, someone who has demonstrated years, decades of faithful ministry, and I praise God that he has brought some of those kind of men across the path of my life and ministry over the years. And, oh, they, when you first meet them, you think, uh, nothing impressive here. I remember when I first met Bud Johnson. I remember the first time I met my wife's former pastor, David Duncan. I remember these guys. I was like, oh, nothing Nothing overwhelms you about them. You know, so they're saying, wow. I didn't get a wow moment with any of them. Not a single one of them impresses you when you first meet them. But then you spend a little bit of time with them and you start to get to know them and you realize, wow. These are really humble men of God who love the church, love His Word, and love the Lord. But you meet them on the street, nothing impressive. You hear them speak. First sermon you hear from, it's like, I'm trying to stay awake. So I try to emulate them, and it's working. Many of you fight hard to try to stay awake. And they have been my mentors. They have been those I've wanted to pattern my life after and my ministry after. And I'm convinced that God has these available for us. Continue in the things you have already learned. Remember the description of the false creepers? Always learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Always some newfangled thing. Um, oh, you got you to get this, get this. You go, oh, wow, I never heard that. I never thought about that. Well, that's really not the measure of ministry. Am I being affirmed in the knowledge of the truth? The things I have learned and from whom I have learned them. And then, of course, we come to verse 15 and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And now we're back home. Here's the contrast. Home was a place of susceptibility up there in the earlier verses. There was an opening that the evil one was willing to exploit. But we also find that in that very place, and with that very same person of a woman in the home, that you have the place of defense of the faith. And oh, that our moms would choose to emulate this Role rather than the prior role. And let me share with you, you you're going to be one or the other. Period. You're either going to be the defender of the faith in your home or you're going to be the gullible one to introduce error into your home. Well, how did this happen? You might say, well, how do you know it was... Mom's role there in verse 13. It just says, from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures. How do you know it's mom and not dad that taught it? Well, because I read the first chapter of this book. Turn with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 5. It says, when I call to remember, the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Where did that faith come from? That Paul is developing in Timothy, that evidence that there was something about Timothy that, that Paul says, I want to take you under my wing and become your spiritual father. I'm going to develop you for ministry. Where did that faith come from that he keeps wanting to strengthen Timothy in and develop Timothy in? He said, I saw it in you as a potential, but I saw it first in your grandmother and in your mom. I looked into the home and I saw there steadfast Faith, and that is that. It was, and the description here is the genuine faith, is literally without wax. Um, that is, that is sincere. It is, it is uh, the real article, the real McCoy. They believed in the truth of the holy scriptures. They held to it with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and they were going to live it before their grandson and son, Timothy. From a childhood, he learned the Scriptures. Now, we have a program in our church trying to help your children learn the Scriptures by having it taught to them, having them read it, and having them memorize it. Do you know how effective that program is? That program is completely dependent in its effectiveness upon mom at home. Do you know why we had so few awards? Is because so many of the children in our program have no mom at home that wants their child to know the Holy Scriptures. And the only ones in their life that are trying to present them God's Word are the ones they encounter here for two hours a week. And not even 12 months out of the year we wonder why we can't make a lasting impact. We do make an impact, by the way. But the question is, why is their young faith, that they find here, shipwrecked by the time they get into junior high? Because there's no mom at home to say, you need to learn the Holy Scriptures. Because they will make you wise to salvation. And so we discover that that one that is a quote-unquote weak spot, a point of entry for the evil one, it can also be the backbone of the defense of the faith among God's people. This is your role. But recognize it's not about your personality, it's not about the quality of your uh, will of your strength of character. We are talking about a commitment to several things. Number one, a commitment to the Scriptures. Timothy learned the Bible at home before Paul ever got a hold of him. You have learned, known, not just learned. You have known the Holy Scriptures. He did not just have a cursory knowledge that the Bible existed, but he knew the Scriptures. What Scriptures are we talking about here? Remember, the New Testament is in the course of being written. The Scriptures we're talking about here is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles are probably all 1 Two different books. but um, And right through the Old Testament, all through the law, all through the prophets, all through the Psalms. He knew the scriptures. He had been trained in them at home as a child. Now, Timothy, we know, first of all, was not circumcised when Paul met him, which means that his father was a Gentile which means that he didn't go to the synagogue and learn like other Jewish boys. He couldn't have done that without being circumcised. And so the only place he learned the scriptures was at home. And the people he learned it from wasn't dad, but grandma and mom taught him to know the scriptures not just a handful of religious precepts or ideas but to really know God's word and gals you want to guard our church from creepers you want to guard your home from creepers you need to be capable of teaching God's word which requires something of you doesn't it, it requires you to know the scriptures to be reading them, meditating on them, memorizing, studying them. It is profitable, the scriptures, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, the exact opposite things that we find of gullible women in those same homes. They're always looking for the newest thing instead of studying the only firm thing, the Bible, the immovable thing. Do we know the scriptures? And this is going to be critical in Jude, that we know the scriptures. How do we identify these that creep in, that look godly from the outside, but inside they're evil in their intent and purpose, they're corrupt and disapproved concerning the truth. They do not hold to the truth. How can you tell someone doesn't hold to the truth? Well, you have to know the truth. And if you don't know the truth well enough to tell a counterfeit from the real thing, then now you've just been instructed in your primary role in your home. You need to know the truth to communicate it to your children. That is your role. It is higher and more important a role probably than anything else you do. I know that feeding them is kind of important physically, that they cry if they don't get fed. I know all that. I know you're worried that your kids have clean clothes and they look presentable and they come to church and somehow spitting on them and pushing their hair down is better than them just coming. Um, but those aren't critical. Necessary, not critical the critical role you have within your home is to make sure your children know the Holy Scriptures. Which requires you to know them. That you can hear what's coming in, whether it be from their friends, whether it be from their teachers, whether it be from their neighbors, whether it be from their TVs or their computer screens, and you can say, that is not the truth. Because I know what the truth is because I have it here and I have learned it myself and I want you to know that this is the truth. This is what everything gets measured against. And I want to help you do that so that when you are ready to enter into ministries in adulthood, some old duffer like me can come along and say, you knew this as a child. You learned this when you were just a little tyke. Stop trying to learn something new, but learn something, the truth, well and better. Be more sure of it. And so we begin with the scriptures, that we know them, that we teach it. This is your role within your home. Do you have help in that? Absolutely. I am not saying that the husband has no role because guess what? On Father's Day, guess what his primary role is going to be? Yeah, it's the same. You both have the same primary role to so make sure your children see and know the Scriptures. Your job is to teach them one facet of it, the Father's job is to teach them a different facet of it because God is both loving and holy. Do your children know the Scriptures? as a result of your being their mom. That's the measure of success. If you say, I don't really know the scriptures that well, then I want to share with you, the Bible considers you a gullible target for the predators of faith. And when you become their target, guess who else goes down with you? Your children. Have you ever noticed that when the predator sneaks into the herd, they go after, not the young ladies, they go after the mommies and their babies. And they chase the mommy, but who they're really after is the baby. Because they can take down babies pretty easy in the wild. Dads are a whole different story. Those males, don't mess with the bulls, Right? You go after the weak, the vulnerable. Moms, your children are vulnerable. And if you also are vulnerable because you are ignorant of the Bible, you have set your home up to be the place where the evil one will play and hunt. And he will take captive their minds, their hearts, and eventually, sooner or often than later, their bodies and their very souls. You must know the scriptures, teach the scriptures, and live the scriptures if you are going to guard your home from the evil one. Secondly, Not only do you need to know and teach the scriptures, you need to be sincere in your faith. Your kids will know if you're faking it. What do we know about Grandma and Ma Timothy? They were the real deal in their faith. Remember that? Here's the description. I saw this first in Grandma. And the word used here is genuine. They're of genuine faith. That this is not something that they just put on on Sunday mornings. They don't just wear it occasionally. Um, they, they didn't just do it when there's company come over. Uh, they have it every day, every week, day after day, hour after hour, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. This is the real deal. This is the real faith. And moms, your children desperately need you To be women of faith, to show the true faith is all about. Not what the world says religion is, but what really means to be a person of faith. They are watching how you relate to their dad. And yes, being a woman of faith is submitting to your husband. Perhaps one of the most powerful testimonies of genuine faith is when a woman recognizes, this is my role under God, under my husband, in the home. And when your children see it, they will grasp a knowledge about your faith because they won't see it in other homes they'll say, wow, this is for real. She's going to submit to her husband, even if he's wrong. Even if he doesn't walk and obey the truth, she, without a word, is going to win her husband by submitting to him. How else can you show genuine faith? That is the most powerful evidence, is that you are really living it in your home. And whenever you lift up your will against your husband's, you are declaring something to your children. And that is that rebellion can be part of the Christian life. And I want you to understand that rebellion cannot ever be part of the Christian life in any form and be accepted. We don't accept it from our children, it should not be acceptable in our marriages. It should be completely unacceptable in our church. We do not rebel against authorities in our life. Because we have surrendered to the one who has established every authority. God Almighty. And when your children see your faith in action, that you are willing to surrender and submit to your husband under, in, in the Lord, You're going to live righteously and godly. And they're going to look out in the world that says, rebel, rebel, rebel. And they're going to look into the home and say, and here, submit, submit, submit. And they'll know your faith is for real. You're going to have to have genuine faith at home. And it will impact their lives. Because you're going to be calling them to learn the Holy Scriptures and the first requirement of relationship with God is guess what? Submit. (laughs) You're going to have to surrender to the truth. You're going to have to acknowledge its authority. You're going to have to get on your knees before God and repent of your sin. And when there's rebellion as the foundation of your home life, that won't happen. Not among your children. Why do our children rebel against parents? Well, if their first example in their life is mom rebelling against dad, then we should anticipate that they're going to rebel against parents. There's already rebellion in their hearts. They don't really need any help. They don't need any examples for that. It's already there. Why make it excusable by having it in your life? So I believe that when Paul is talking about the genuine faith of grandma and mom, he's talking about a faith that is evidence, that is visible, that is obvious. And the fact that no dad is mentioned here isn't relevant. Don't give me this, you don't know who I'm married to. Not a relevant aspect to whether your faith is genuine or not. You've got to know the scriptures. You've got to live it you have to be the real deal in a home. If you're going to guard your children and your house from the evil one, and by doing so, guard our church from the creepers, they're going to start in your house, and they're coming to the church, and their intent is to do damage for their own interests. Well, my time is up. My message isn't over, but my time is up. We might have to revisit this tonight. I was going to say next week, but I won't be here for a couple weeks. And next week we're going to be having from Jerusalem. So tonight I want to pursue this even further. Of what else do we need to have in our homes with our gals to guard us from the creepers? And how can we help you as a church, and as husbands, brothers, uncles, grandpas, how can we help? But I just want to challenge you. You are one or the other. You are the entry point for the evil one to devastate your home. Or you can be one of the primary guards over your children's souls. Do you know the scriptures and are you teaching them? Is your faith the real deal, genuine? We'll look at some more tonight. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the very important and precious role of helpmeet and mother that you have placed in our homes. That You have fashioned them, designed them for that role. And for this, we give you the honor and glory and praise. And we do know that just as men in their role have been affected by sins, so have women in their role. And Lord, we know that the evil one always wants to take advantage of that. But we thank you for your warnings and for your instructions. We know that they're for our benefit and for our defense that we might keep our faith. We might see our children come to you in faith and that they as well might be preserved and endure to the end. And Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, help it be a higher and higher priority of our time, of our attention, of our thoughts, and of our living. We pray your Spirit might work in us and in our homes to your honor, praise, and glory, and until your coming. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.